2: and this is a bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Now, as ever, let's begin by banging these bongos. Yeah, right. <laughs> Crazy. Hello, hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Well, today, I'm going to be taking you to meet Phoebe Minson. And let me tell you, Phoebe is quite a woman. At the age of just 22, she's a curator, a writer, an artist, and the creative director at the Rheem Gallery, also running their gallery in London's West End. You'll hear in this episode that Phoebe is a very confident and ambitious woman with a big heart. And it sounds like she's going to be putting all three of those elements of her personality to good use in her career in this art world. She's absolutely a name to look out for. But less of me trying to convince you of that. Come and let her convince you herself. So please, come and join me as I spoke to Phoebe Minton from the Ring Gallery.
1: I've gone over to, um, to where they are, their base. And spoken to a couple of the guys there about the uh, processing of the artworks and like how they actually do that. This was Did they show you the artwork? Right yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bonkers, isn't it? Bonkers. <laughs> just room after room after room.
2: It's like, or it's like nothing I've ever seen. No,
1: before. neither. I felt like I was inside Mary Poppins' back. Like, <laughs> like, I felt like I'd walked, oh, okay. in, or like walked into the TARDIS or something. It was just yeah. ridiculous and it's so m- stacks and stacks and stacks. But also, the other thing is it's so multi medium. Like there's, yeah. so, there's so much going on. So you have all of the sculptures and all the soap carving. Soap carvings always really Same, yeah. touch me, actually.
2: Soap carving and matchsticks is Yeah, the that
1: yeah. Mean. I get shivers just thinking about it, actually.
2: So Phoebe, I have yeah. seven questions that I ask each
1: guest. Awesome.
2: And the first, how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work?
1: So I am the creative director at Ream Gallery, which means that I oversee... The exhibitions and the kind of social media presences and how we yeah how we present ourselves to the rest of the world and how we present our artists to the rest of the world. Um, obviously, we work. We're a really small team, so everyone's very engaged, very involved, which is great. And then the other part of my role is that I manage the Soho space on a day-to-day basis. Nice.
2: And what was your introduction into arts?
1: Well, I've always loved art. My first memories are being in the Turbine Hall at the Tate when I was about nice. 3 or 4. My mum actually used to take me and my sister there when it was a rainy day, so we'd run up and down the slope to tire yeah. us out. That was <laughs> good thinking. That was her tactic, and I remember seeing I think it was Rachel Whitread's the cubes, they were like little no, was it was like yeah, sugar yeah, cubes, yeah, sugar blocks. I, I think that's 2005 or 2006. I was only 5 or 6, and I remember that really clearly. And then my other art memory is um, Whistle Jacket by Stubbs in the National Gallery, yeah, nice. which of course is a, a family favourite, a giant horse, who wouldn't love it? So I've always loved art, and I guess as I got into my teens, it became increasingly clear that art was a way to learn about so many different aspects of the world, mm-hmm. that actually art incorporated all the things I cared about regarding politics and sociology and yeah. psychology and history and all of that and so if i studied art i could actually study all of those things as well yeah I've, i found Zaid actually so Zaid's the the founder of ream gallery when i was about 14 so i was already having all these thoughts and i was enjoying art at school and, and that sort of thing and my mum went into town one day and said oh there's this new gallery that's opened you should go in and there wasn't any galleries really in, Cambly? in Cambly, yeah weren't any galleries around at that time um sort of commercial galleries There was one public gallery a few towns over but that was it and so I found his email address and I sent him an email and said can I come in and ask you a few questions about your job and so I went in with my notebook and my pen and I asked him all sorts of questions like how did you start this gallery and how do you choose your artists and what is an art dealer and how does it work and then at the end I said can I have a job. And he said, no, you're 14. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that would be illegal for so me to hire you. Was you. that
2: your intention when you went in there? with your Yeah, definitely. Girl.
1: And so then I realised, okay, I can't work till I'm 16. But at 16, I went and I volunteered at this public gallery that was a few towns over. And the only thing I could do was sit in the corner and make sure people didn't touch the artwork, yeah. which if anyone's done that, they know it's unbelievably dull. <laughs> I needed a few and then they said, oh, we're hiring for a receptionist. Um, you should apply. So I applied and I got it. And then I was receptionist. And then because I was in, I got stuck into everything. So I helped out with the curation team. And I ended up being the events assistant. And then when I moved to London to study foundation at Central St. Martins, Zaid knew and was still sort of in contact with me. And he was doing pop-ups at the time. So he didn't have a permanent space in London. He would do like a couple of months or a month or a few weeks and Mm. work it around the art fair calendar as well. And he was doing a... I think it was a month pop up in Mayfair in St. James's Square, yeah, it's right opposite yeah. the White Cube. And so he said, Oh, you know, if you're around, you apply because I'm hiring assistants, you know, gallery assistants. So applied, got it. And then um, I got to my industry year for uni. So you get a year in the middle of your second and your third year. You can choose what, what you do. And I wanted to go to New York and do something at MoMA. And it was right at the tail end of COVID. So it was a bit of a nightmare with travel and visas mm. and stuff. And so that fell through and I had a couple of weeks where I was going to mum, this is all going wrong, I don't know what I'm doing, I have nowhere to live, I have no job. I knew I didn't want to do an artist residency because I knew that I didn't actually want to pursue being an artist and so it was much more beneficial for me to use that year to focus on well the side of the art world that I love which Mm. is the representing artists and working with artists and curating shows and and bringing people into the art world that's what I really love doing and so I reached out to Zay and he said oh well you're just in time because I'm about to hire someone full-time to to help out at the Surrey Gallery and so two days later off I popped on the train and and that was that and then we opened this space in April so about six months in
2: and where are we now
1: we're in Piccadilly, We are, which is why you can hear a lot of sirens and a lot of noise. But yeah, we're in the Hamyard Village next to the Hamyard Hotel, which is very beautiful and is all designed by Kit Kemp, who's a fantastic oh, yeah. designer. Yeah. And she's got her little shop next door, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we're right next to Piccadilly.
2: How long have you been here?
1: So I've worked for Ream Gallery for a year and two months.
2: In this space?
1: In this space, we've been here since April. Just, April just gone.
2: And how often are you having... Um, shows in here
1: so the shows are about three weeks long and they'll sometimes they're back to back and sometimes there's a week or two of a break and in that week or two of break we put some of our sort of archive pieces in so we've just had that just before this show we had two weeks where we had Mr Brainwash and Banksy's and Shrigley's and that kind of stuff Um, but yeah the solo shows tend to be about three weeks long
2: you create your own work as well don't you or you have done do you still
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I'm in my final year of uni currently. So I I do this slightly mad thing of full-time working here and full-time, full-time, in inverted <laughs> yeah. commas, um, final year. And that is, well, do you know what? It's interesting because I, I'll be honest, I've had a very difficult few months with my own practice. And I think that when you spend a lot of time working with other artists... And I've always had this. I've always had that I've been more interested in other people's work than my own. And so when I'm surrounded by so many other artists, and my job is literally finding new artists, so I will spend so much time looking through other people's Instagrams and social medias and all of the different art blogs and art forums, finding all this art, and I get so excited about it. But when I come back to my own art, it's really not very exciting.
2: That's only in
1: your mind. Well, of course, of course it's only in my mind but that's how I feel and so therefore when I have that option of do I spend time writing and thinking about other people's work or do I spend time on my own my own feels a lot scarier and my own feels a lot more vulnerable and so I've chosen not to but of course I can't do that for very long especially not when I'm actually doing final year and I have to get marked on it so I am attempting soldiering through to try and Work out what it is that I'm not even wanting to create, but maybe needing to create is the right word.
2: If I was to talk to you as an artist rather than a manager of a gallery, how would you explain your artwork and what it means, or what you'd like it to mean to the viewer?
1: I'm very interested in process, so outcomes don't interest me so much. Funny, we were talking about Ai Weiwei, because Ai Weiwei said that When he was younger, he used to, if he moved to studios, he'd throw everything in the skip before he went into the next studio because he didn't care about the outcomes. It was all the process. And then people start saying, please don't do that. It's worth a lot of money. (laughs) What means a lot to me are my notebooks. So I'm very, very obsessive about keeping notebooks and keeping um, kind of journals and diaries and logs of things that I'm seeing and thinking. And I write a lot of prose and poetry. Those are all in my notebooks. So I definitely wouldn't throw those away, and of course that's a big part of my practice. It's not necessarily visual art, um, but text is very important. Obviously, we know. But could it not be? Oh well, it is sometimes. Yeah, it definitely is sometimes. It just depends how you present it, doesn't it? it depends what you want it to be and what form you present it in to the viewer. Yeah. There's nothing else. They can many poets
2: turn their poems, prose, even lines or verses, into artworks, and they are successful artists. Mm-hmm using poetry
1: yeah i think text is extremely extremely powerful in art and very important because art is at its core a communication device Mm. and the great thing about visual art is that it transcends language barriers but actually it's really interesting because i've seen so many text-based artworks that use other languages and i might not know what's being written in them or said in them but there is something so powerful about the written word word sorry and understanding that That transferring of knowledge Mm. that you somehow still get something very rich from a language that you can't understand.
2: Well in the gallery we're sitting in at the moment you have Preston Paperboy who does large-scale portraits and again he uses Mm. um, text on there and some quite naive drawings Mm. amongst his very well-painted portraits.
1: Well what it creates is a narrative You know, I think a portrait on its own has a narrative, but that narrative is often hidden sort of in the eyes, in the features. And so you're sucked into one or two elements of a painting. Whereas in these portraits, you have so much going on around them. And the text becomes a visual aid because it's often written backwards. I mean, that's one of the things he does is he writes the text backwards. So you're having to use this whole new level of concentration to work out what it even says. And I think because of that, you spend more time on different parts of the whole canvas you know it really even if you see this one it, it comes over the edge of the canvas onto the side yeah. so you're actually moving around the canvas as if it's a 3d object instead of something flat i think that's really such a strength of his that the painting captures your attention to so much longer
2: do you want to be a, um, a visual artist yourself after university or do you want to do similar to what you're doing now be a part of bringing through emerging artists while still creating your own?
1: Yeah, the second, the latter.
2: Yes. And what would happen if you was to move it from being a, a hobby or pastime into becoming one of those emerging artists if your work started taking traction?
1: I think there's so many things that I see in the art world that are less than perfect as as with the whole world of yeah. course but let's narrow it down to the art world and if there was a way that by creating my own work i could address some of those things then perhaps i would follow that route however i see much clearer ways of being able to address some of those where i'm where i'm in a position not focusing on my own work and focusing on other people's and focusing on Opportunity and accessibility, and and working from within an institution, or with well, the institution of the art world, but working within the, the physical buildings hmm. and the, the places and the spaces um, that are either reaching outward or bringing people in. You know, one of those so. What would things. your
2: ideal job be within the arts?
1: I love organisation. I'm really. I'm an organised person. I love the kind of admin aspect of any wow. role. And I like things to, to work really smoothly. And I like things to be... Because, um, you know, if you, if you get all the logistics right, then you can enjoy I, everything course, else. Yeah. I mean, that is so important. And so I really do care about that. And I care about the, the little details. Because all, all of that means that I can then... Then we get the paintings on the wall. And we get people in the gallery. And we get the artist in the gallery. With the people in the gallery who love the paintings on the wall. Yeah, and it course, all makes yeah. sense. So I haven't answered your question at all. I think that's because I would like to keep that career trajectory in my own head.
2: Yeah. And
1: because um, it will change every single day. Yeah, well
2: at the moment at the start of a career, you've got the you've obviously got the passion for the arts, visual arts, and there is so many avenues you can go down. Exactly. And some you know might be a U-turn as soon as you go down them, but so yeah, you've you've plenty of lines to go down. Yeah. And You've spoken about outreach and marginalised, Mm. would it be charity work within the arts? Do you like that idea, or even being a trustee?
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, We're talking about Kessler Arts, and I think that they're just brilliant. My mum introduced me to them when I was quite young as well. I care hugely about the importance and the impact that art can have within a society and within community, particularly with children. I did think for a while, actually, that I wanted to study to be an art therapist, because... I have a a great admiration for the power of art to transform mental well-being and also the importance of it on a day-to-day basis to maintain good mental health. I think it's really crucial. includes art therapy training because if those art lessons in primary school weren't just sit across from your neighbour and mm. draw a picture of them or draw a picture of your house or and, and by the age of five or six you ask any child are you good or bad at art and they'll have an answer they'll say yeah. I'm good or I'm bad are you good or bad at drawing I'm good or bad. I'm bad I just don't think that's true I don't think anyone's good or bad at drawing because no. drawing and painting and crea- you know, creating anything. It's good if you've been able to express something, communicate something, process something, in whatever way that turns out. Like I said, I care a lot about the process, not necessarily the outcome. So a good outcome for me is something that has ticked all those boxes. And so if you start to teach children about art the way that art therapists use art and teach children about art, you'll essentially give all these kids free therapy Mm. from their 5 to their 16. Mandatory art ends, maybe it's 14 in some schools. But you'll also be equipping these children with skills of processing, of express of expression of of communication, and that's just going to build a fantastic generation yeah. of better co-workers, parents, friends. Be very revolutionary, and I don't think it would take a huge amount because I think within the teacher training programs, um, you'd probably only need three or four days of a sort of intensive. Mm course by an art therapist a couple of lectures and to be honest I think the hardest part of it would actually be teaching those trainee teachers that they are also good at art you know because I think a lot of those teachers would probably go into it thinking you know to have some, who'd be like oh I can't wait to teach kids art and there'd be some going oh my goodness I just don't want to pick up a pencil (laughs) like this just sounds awful and so actually perhaps the biggest challenge would be convincing the teachers everyone's their own worst critic and harshest companion in lots of ways and I certainly am my own but I think that I'm so aware of kind of logically you know in my head rationally I'm really aware of the benefits of creating but also the the boundaries or the lack of boundaries in creating and I understand that expectations can be really problematic that doesn't mean that I can get past them it just means that I know that
2: so well, the trouble with, if you don't mind me butting in, the trouble with all. the position that you're at at the moment, you're working with emerging artists that, as an artist, are a couple of rungs up the ladder from yourself. Of course. Because you've just stepped on the ladder.
1: So well, I'm not even on the ladder, because I've, <laughs> I've not even tried to get Maybe on the ladder. you're holding
2: the ladder for the people <laughs> that's it, that, that That's it, that's it, exactly. But either way, where however you see yourself. Um, so you will be constantly comparing yourself to those that are a couple of runs up the ladder,
1: I think that in some ways because I'm not interested in, you know, I, I don't get that thrill of thinking, oh, my first solo show. You know, there's a lot of people who study art and a lot of young artists who that is, oh my goodness, I don't have that at all. I really have no interest in that, and so I think that the comparison for me is not against other artists because I'm not wanting what they have. Yeah. So I'm in some ways I'm quite lucky because I'm not ever comparing myself to that, because that's not even what I want. I think probably the, the thing that holds me back is just a... I think you're, you're most vulnerable when you're creating artwork. And I think that, for me, the scariest thing I can do is paint from a psychological perspective. Mm. And that's just something I need to work through on my own because it's nothing to do with a comparison to anybody else because I'm fully aware that what I create and what I've always created will always be very different and I'm not wanting a, a show I'm not one want- that's not what I want my practice is private it's for me and it's important for all the reasons that I've said for that processing and expression of emotions and all of that that's why it's really important to me and in some ways that's a problem because that um, demonstrates a huge kind of lack of self belief and self doubt no, and things like that. You don't do. think? No, I don't. Okay, good, <laughs> excellent. No. As, as
2: an artist, possibly. Well, that's what I mean, as an artist, if you, yeah. If you put it in your head at the moment that you are going to be a, a gallerist, if you like, or someone involved in the arts that also creates artwork, mm. I think that makes you quite a unique person. Do you know Xavier? Yes, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, Xavier, I think his paintings are fucking beautiful. Yeah. But he's a great gallerist as well. Yeah. So he, he dips in I And I don't know any, many others that. I
1: think that, there's that, something really unique about being able to understand from the artist's perspective what they're yeah, what they're doing, exactly. what they're thinking, what their processes are. Um, and I think that that's really helped actually in the last few months when we've been doing these shows.
2: But that's where
1: Yeah. the, I'm, the
2: road you've got to go down, isn't yeah. it?
1: I don't need to 24 7 create art. And there are some people who need to do that, they need to do that for their heads. And if they need to do that, that means there needs to be other people who are on the sides, holding them up, pushing them up and going, okay, you just focus on that and I'll focus on making it something you can make a living from. We undervalue in society our artists so enormously and you need to have the people who will go, okay, you can't afford your rent because you're painting every day and therefore you can't work in a coffee shop. So let's make sure that there are buyers who will buy the things you're painting Mm -hmm. and let's make sure that you know, because because realistically artists need to survive, they need to live, they need to... And lots of artists, it's not necessarily about success, you know, but it is about getting the paintings out into mm. the world. What, and that is a success in some, some ways, but it depends how you define success of course. But what I mean is that they're not looking to become you know, turn a Turner Prize winner. They're looking to just keep doing what they're doing because they need to do it. Mm. And because they need to do it, um, there needs to be some kind of sustenance that keeps them being able to do what they need to do
2: it does sound like you've got a you've got a beautiful journey ahead of you because you've got the passion and that's the that's the hard thing you can learn the technical side you can't learn the passion you've either got it or you haven't and yeah you seem to have a, a fair bit of it mm-hmm. and the ring gallery that you're uh, managing one of their galleries at the moment you've got Preston Paperboy on mm-hmm. at present which mm-hmm. we are in the middle of November. Who's coming up next? What have you got in store?
1: So we've got a few really exciting events over the Christmas period. So firstly, we are opening a Women to Watch. Well, the title is pending, but at the moment it's Women to Watch, but I'm going to think of something a bit jazzier. Um, And that is some really just brilliant female artists. Some who are super emerging, some who are a bit more established. um, But we've got a whole range and a whole range of mediums as well. So I'm really excited about that. It's about 10 artists. And then we've got a little, a little one, one-off event, which is Mr. Sens, the graffiti artist. Yeah. He's launching a book, his first ever book. And so we're, doing, we're hosting his book launch here in Soho, which is going to be great. That's on the 8th of December. And then after Christmas, we've got a few shows lined up.
2: And the other gallery in Camberley. Do you know what they've got coming
1: up? Yeah, we've got loads of stuff coming up there. I mean, that's more of a showroom. So here we do the solo exhibitions. And over there, it's a kind of more permanent collection. And it's a real eclectic offering of artworks. And it's a much, much bigger space. It's over two floors. So it's it offers quite a relaxing experience for anyone who wants to come in and just browse, have a look at different things, chat to the team. Um, And obviously there's a lot on catalogue or kind of in storage that isn't on view. And so by appointment you can view a whole host of artworks there. So yeah, and then there's art fairs as well. So we're at Windsor Contemporary Art Fair next weekend and there'll be art fairs in the new year, absolutely. Um, Looking to expand to a couple more permanent locations where where there might be pop-ups but actually making that more permanent.
2: And what is the history of the Ring Gallery? How did it start?
1: So... Zaid Alexander Bader, so he's the founder and he has a background in kind of art and business and his dad actually is a jewellers. Um, so he's got a jewellery business and oh. so Zaid always grew up around kind of finer objects mm. and in April 2014, he opened a very, very small little gallery in Camberley and just was really quite successful to be honest and Good. sourced some great artworks and one of, was one of the first British art dealers to start working with JJ Adams who of course now is yeah. very successful and highly collectible and lots of other artists as well I mean um, Illuminati Neon so Mark Sloper he was in there to start off with Pure Evil Charlie um, loads of those sorts of guys so Zade started working with them back in 2014 and gradually it grew and then opened the bigger premises which is actually just the unit next door um, a couple of years later and like I said I started working for him in 2018 when he was doing pop-ups in London and and yeah doing the art fest scene and stuff so he was a, he was a one-man band until I joined in September 2021 and when I joined and realized how much there was to I thought how on earth are you doing this by yourself <laughs> um but yeah we've certainly been able to do I mean this wouldn't without a team that's now grown um significantly of course, you won't be able to have multiple locations and things. So it's a really exciting time for the gallery. And I think that Zayd's passion is has always been rooted in supporting emerging artists. And so actually he met Nathan, who is Preston Paperboy, back in about 2017, 2018, and was again, one of the first to sort of champion him and and grab some of his works and take them to collectors and things. So it's really nice. It's kind of a full circle moment, I think, especially for Zayd and Nathan and their relationship. It was a, a lovely moment to open this show earlier in the week. Excellent. Yeah.
2: If you could curate an exhibition of five artists, past and present, oh. what would your ideal group show be?
1: That is, oh my gosh, what? How am I supposed to answer that? Okay, first, first question. I'm sorry, I can't just answer straight away. But <laughs> <laughs> do I get to meet them? They're there. They're there. They're there with me. I get to it's work your with imaginary... them. Oh my gosh. Okay. So. Oh, my gosh. Yoko Ono. Nice. I think I'd have Yoko Ono. I think I'd have, oh, my gosh, this is so difficult. Frida Kahlo. I love Frida Kahlo. I will, I will never not be interested in her story and in her. I have so many questions for her, so many questions for her. About her personal life, about her public life, about, oh, so many questions. So, yeah, I'd love to work with her. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. Now, only because I saw an exhibition in the South of France this summer, which was a Hockney Matisse exhibition, which was just fantastic. Wow. Just beautiful comparing their works and and also extraordinary how similar their the evolution of their yeah. works was yeah. that their, their sort of their drawing styles all the way to their painting, just brilliant. What was really funny as well was so many of the works it was curated beautifully looked so similar. Like even just very simple drawings of leaves or flowers, sometimes we weren't quite sure whose work you were looking at because it was such old sketches and you know pieces that had never been um, seen before. So I'd say David Hockney, just because I think he's so prolific and the fact that he's still creating now and he has adapted so tremendously with the advances in technology and the advances in the endless opportunities of being able to create in different mediums. So yes, Yoko Ono, Frida Kahlo, David Hockney. Oh my goodness, I've got two more. Um, the first show that we did here is with a guy called Kegase and I love working with him. I love his work. I think it's brilliant and I think that he would have great conversations with those artists. So I'd want to bring him into the mix.
2: And lastly
1: last but absolutely not least. I, do you know what's quite fun as well as I'm sort of going down I mean obviously Frida Kahlo of life but I'm I'm sort of going down in age order as well because I like, as okay, younger <laughs> and I actually am quite inclined to choose like a really young artist that I know because I just think what a great what a great conversation. Um, and quite recently, I had a text from one of m- a family friend, the younger daughter, who said, "Thanks for recommending me some landscape artists for my GCSE art, and I've used some of them." And I won't say her full name, she's called Hannah. And so I'd have Hannah along because I just think it would be nice to get a fifteen-year-old student chatting about art with some of the greatest artists of all time.
2: And yeah, paving. Her way for yeah just well. to see what
1: she wants to do and she might listen and go oh my gosh this is so embarrassing <laughs> I don't even want to be an artist I actually hate GCSE art but I know she doesn't so
2: brilliant <laughs> so how can people find what you do on social media or website
1: so you can find me at at Phoebe underscore Ream Gallery that's on Instagram and then the gallery is reengallery.com and at Fine art on Instagram Phoebe, that's all my questions asked. I hope I answered <laughs> all of them adequately.
2: <laughs> if you've got an exhibition or any other creative project within the arts, or even just want to promote your own artwork, you could do that in podcast form similar to the one you've just listened to. They start at a convenient price point that is comfortable for any artist working on a budget. This podcast itself is created by working artists and we know how important that is. So to find out more information, you can email us on ministryofartsorg at gmail.com or on Instagram at ministryofartsorg. Ta-da! Here's a question for the marketers listening. Want to find that perfect customer beyond the world of scrolling, swiping, and searching? Here's a secret to make sparks fly. Smooth talking with podcast ads. With Acast, you can reach millions of listeners who'll be hanging on your every word. On the train to work, in the gym, or waiting in line for coffee. Start up the conversation with podcast listeners anywhere and everywhere. And they're looking for love. 60% of listeners have a higher trust in brands they've met on podcasts compared to social. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.